If you're brand new, welcome to Urban Grace Church. Uh, my name is Trev. We're super stoked that you're here. It's obvious that there's some kind of family business that we're trying to take care of as well on Sunday morning. Um, but we have a, a, a regular habit of going through the Scripture and seeing what God has to say to us. And we've been looking at this subject called work. And we've played the video a couple times. I didn't know whether it was going to play today or not. Um, it's actually a really depressing video. It, some, some of you are like, man, that's so depressing. Uh, but the reality is that video, and, and ask somebody if you really want to see a depressing video, not in a negative way, but to show you that some of us feel really depressed about this whole subject of work. When it comes to this subject of work, it doesn't matter whether you're thinking about work, you're a teenager, or you're someone who's retired officially from paid work. There's been points where you've been frustrated by this whole topic. And so what we're trying to do with this short series is, is really give you a, a base, a worldview from, from whereby you can see your work and you can see how work is defined. I think it's, it's uh, turning out to be really valuable experience, certainly for me, and my hope is, is for us. And, and what we need to understand is, is First of all, a working definition of work, and so that was last week. So we'd encourage you when, the, when it's up there to go back to the website if you need to hear that to catch you up to speed on that. This morning we're going to talk about what's right with work. And so there's going to be questions about, you know, the wrong things about work. Hold on to those questions because we're going to deal with that next week and we're going to talk about what's wrong with work because that's the majority of our questions are why is this so difficult and hard? If, it, if you talk about being so great, why is it so difficult and so hard? That's next week. And then last week, we want to just paint a picture of what work could be, of what work could be. And so this morning, we're going we're to talk about what's right with work. But before we do that, we have to review a little bit of where we left off last week, and it does springboard off. And I tried to make a case last week. We'll find out how successful that uh, work I did was, but really I came up with this definition, work is what we do to help humanity thrive or flourish. So I think sometimes we get into our mind when we hear the subject of work and when we talk about work, it really ends up only becoming what we get paid to do. But then that doesn't include kind of the volunteer stuff that we do. It doesn't include the, the unpaid family stuff that we do. Uh, if you've ever fixed up your house to get it ready for your family, you know that it's work. If you've ever been a stay-at-home anyone, parent of any kind, you know that that is not volunteer, that is work. So we need to have a larger view and definition of work. And I think that this definition allows for this kind of all-encompassing understanding that what, what, when God speaks of work, really he's talking about the stuff that we do to help humanity thrive and flourish. Whether that's our own families, whether we're compensated, whether it's volunteer. And I've noticed that it's funny, when we just think in terms of being compensated for, I've looked at, you know, you look at the people in our culture who are compensated the most for what they do. People like Bill Gates, right? He's made more money in one day than some of us will make in a lifetime. And yet it's not enough. What does he want to do? He wants to help humanity flourish. And so he pours his life into a foundation that instead of just getting compensated for, he's giving money away and he's helping humanity flourish because I think there's something in, within all of us, the DNA in all of us that, that were made in the image of God for this reason, to help humanity flourish 
or thrive. And yet there's so much wrong for it. And so I want to even take a brief time to, to start out. In, in the very beginning, we talked last week that God makes work to be a good thing. That work doesn't arrive after hum, humans mess it all up. Work actually arrives before we mess it all up. In other words, work is a good thing. It's made by God. We're made in His image to work. And that God creating the world is described as His work. It's, in some ways, it, that was a light bulb that, that changed my whole worldview when I understand that work wasn't a punishment for being a human and messing things up. Work was something that was given originally that was good and pure and unaffected by sin. But we messed it up and made it very hard. And ever since then, this is what I believe Jesus has, has been doing and God has been doing. He's been working to take what was originally good and, and bring it back. We would use the biblical word. The biblical word for this is redeem. Redeem is actually a financial term that means to buy back. And so what was good and turned bad, God has been working throughout history to redeem, to buy back what was original. And that ultimately a vision of heaven is not merely this place where you eat cream cheese and have wings and fly on clouds. It's a place where the original world actually works like it's supposed to work. And everything's made right, and there's no tears, and there's, there's no pain, and, and the work you do is not toil, but it's, it's awesome. And here's what Romans says. Romans was written by a man who I believe felt this in his soul. And he says in Romans 8.22, For we know that the whole creation has been growing together, groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And so there's this constant, this is why we feel this tension about work in our lives. This is why we feel frustration in our lives about our work. Not because there aren't satisfying points, but because there's a groaning for this all to be made right. That there's this longing for, couldn't it be better? You know, these are some of the favorite conversations we have in our society. What if money wasn't a problem? What would the world look like if everything was right and good? People love to talk about this stuff. It's because within us, we're groaning. Since the beginning of creation, the story of God says, since the beginning of creation, we're longing for the original return where everything was good and weeds don't grow in your garden and, and everything turns out happy. But for now, we're here. And we need to talk about this and we need to figure this out. And so this morning, I, I think we're going to concentrate on two things. And they do piggyback off of last week. But I think we need to talk about the fact that work fulfills our purpose here on earth. When you define it like that, that's how I'm defining it, like this. That this fulfills our purpose on earth. There's so many hopeless people. And how many of you, you're discouraged by that video, or you're discouraged by your own work because it feels hopeless. Anyone ever get frustrated with your work, not because it's hard, not because, you know, there are terrible people, but because it feels pointless? Anyone ever feel like that? Right? And what helps, what helps give and bring joy? It's purpose. Some of, the, some of the most fulfilling work in all of the world is the hardest work, right? 
why, do, why are we attracted to hard work? Why are we attracted to these things? Because we want so desperately. We're groaning within ourselves to contribute to something that matters. We want to be part of a mission that's greater than us. Haven't the great theologians at Apple taught us this? We want to be part of a bigger mission. You guys don't think they're theologians, do you? They are. I read a book on Steve Jobs that talked about one chapter. It literally said, inspire evangelists about your project. That, that's a word that's stolen from the Bible that says good news. Evangel. So that, that's how Apple has kind of taken off is that this is, it, we're talking about creating a dent in the universe. We want to be part of something that is bigger. I know some of you aren't Mac people, I get it. So just hang with me here for a moment. What I'm saying is we're all drawn to this. We're all drawn to this idea of purpose. And then we've got to talk about what does this mean? How can, how can we view what's right about work in terms of what we do with it? And that means that work becomes a primary place for us to worship God. And I would also say to worship ourselves if we really want to. So let's begin with there. Work fulfills our purpose. I want to take you back to uh, the same scripture that I was at last week. So turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to be there for the rest of the morning. If you don't have a Bible, would you raise your hand? And someone would love to bring you a Bible. And you could keep that uh, and underline that and take that home if that's your first Bible. If not, feel free to return that uh, for the sake of those who don't yet have a Bible. But we're in Genesis chapter 1. And Genesis is an important book to us as people who follow Jesus Christ, because ultimately the Bible is described as the story of God that points to Jesus Christ. That's how Jesus himself actually um, talked about the scriptures. And there's so much in the book of Genesis that is helpful. Actually, that word Genesis means beginnings. I don't know if you knew that or not. And so this is a very valuable book to us as followers of Jesus Christ, because it talks about beginnings. And in chapter one and two, everything is good so far. That's what I love about Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2. It's actually two different camera angles of the same experience. And so you have different facts that go on in, in different... That's why there's some overlap. That's why it looks somewhat the same. But there's one verse in particular, and we, I think we actually uh, read it or perhaps alluded to it last week. It's verse 28, and I want to camp here for, this, for the whole morning because I think this is such a, a valuable verse. And so let's talk about what this verse means First of all, I'm going to read it out loud, and then I'm going to break it down for us. It says, And God blessed them, that is, the people that he created. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. If you read that fast, you, you may not catch some of these things, but let's, let's break it down. Let's slow motion this verse and talk about this for a moment. We, we actually skim over top of that first line, those four words, and God bless them. You, if you look at the context, you see the verse previous to that is, is verse 27. It says, so God created man or people in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is not about being male. This is about being male and female created in the image of God. What that means is that his DNA is within us so that when he looks at us, we have some representation of who he is. 
Right? Last week I said there are some families where you can see the DNA right in their face, can't you? You look across the room and you're like, those two are sisters. Not just because they look alike, but because they act alike and they have the same mannerisms. And when we have the same mannerisms, even when you aren't DNA related, they look, we look like sisters. Like, so there's this, this uniting of people because we are made in the image of God. We look like God. Isn't that a miraculous statement? We could camp there all morning. And then he says, and God blessed them. They didn't earn this opportunity. They, they didn't say, hey, God, uh, you owe us one. They actually said nothing. And God blessed them. He gave them favor. What was he giving them favor for? Well, that's what the rest of the verse is about. He blessed them to do this. That means he didn't just allow it to happen. He authorized that he wants it to happen. He planned for it to happen. He prepared for it to happen. He designed us to do this. I think this is such an amazing thing. Because some world religions will, will, will talk about this idea of work being just this, this accident, this problem, this, this, this thing that's broken that has to get fixed. But that's not the way the God of the, the Bible describes work. That's not the way He describes Himself. And some of the, the ways of, of, of people thinking, like the gods actually had this big cosmic fight and one of them got a nosebleed and blood drops to the ground and humanity springs up out of the soil. That's a, that's a real, I guess you could call it a myth. That's a real way that people thought human beings were created. But that's not... That's so different from what God says. He says, no, this is by design. This is not an accident. This is not a result of chaos. It's not a result of you making things go wrong. It's I created men and women, and then I put my image inside of them, and then I blessed them and said, this is what I want you to do. What does he want us to do? Some of you are like, yeah, be fruitful and multiply. I know, some of you got that joke, some of you aren't really awake yet. I, I think this is quite a bit wider than just procreate, actually. I think this is, this is where we get this idea of a flourish. Be fruitful and multiply. Have families. Marry. Have children. Have these children have children. Have those children have children. Populate the earth. But there's so much more than simply, again, procreation. Some of you are like, I don't, I don't know if we need more procreation. Where does that come from? The Bible actually says, go for it. This is God giving a green light to fill in the earth with people. Filling it with communities, cities, farmland. Organized life. Civilization, so to speak. The directive shows us from God that he, he wants this to happen. It's not by accident. And then what else does he say? And subdue it. And subdue it. We're an anti-authoritarian culture. We don't really like this kind of language, do we? We don't like this idea of subduing anything. Subdue means to bring under control. And so right away, maybe our senses are up and we're like, oh yeah, that's the, you know, that's the problem with Christianity. It's all about control. This word subdue is not meant to be understood that way. Subdue means to like bring order to chaos. And you even see that in the, 
in the way chronologically the story is, is, is written, that there's, there's soil, there's water, there's, there's plants, there's seeds, but not everything is finished yet. And God gives the directive, bring this under control, make it work for you. In other words, he doesn't just work in creation and make everything great and then, and then sit back and say, you know, I want you to sit back. He goes, okay, here's the raw materials, friends, of culture. You have my DNA in you, so I made you creative, and we're getting to that in week number four. That's why I still so strongly believe that as Christians, we need to reveal and express creativity because we actually have a reason to do it. Not for creativity's sake, but because we have the DNA of the Creator in us. And who better to express creativity in the world than Christians? But that's, that's, that's another sermon. I wish I could preach that today, but I'm not. I'm going to preach that in two weeks. But he says, subdue it. Make it work. Build a culture. Build a civilization. And he says, you have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is not a directive that says you need to take advantage of animals. It says you need to see this as the raw materials that I've given to you to use wisely, and you need to steward them. This is the directive. This is the purpose that we see right off the hop before everything, anything goes bad, before there are any problems. And this is why I believe there's something within us that wants to produce and help humanity to thrive in some way. Even if that humanity and its brokenness is just us, right? We never want a job that just helps other people. We want it that, that fulfills us. That's most of our attitude toward work. In fact, I would argue this is why we get so disappointed with work so often is it doesn't fulfill us like we would hope. And we're always longing for this fulfillment. We have this idea in us that we want fulfillment. Very few people are like, you know what, I'm totally satisfied. I could work 50 years in a cubicle, no problem. I never heard that from anyone. What I have heard is, my work is not bad, but you know what, I think there's something more. Or my work isn't that great, there must be something more. That's the big question mark we have. What's our purpose? What the heck are we doing here? Why do we have so much toil that goes on that seems so fruitless? And I would say, well, we've got to start with the fact that in our DNA is this desire to help our world thrive and flourish. And no matter how broken we are, we can't get away from it somehow. But I love that. And I believe that that gives us tremendous purpose. And sometimes that's a missing connection for us. Is that our work is so frustrating because we just don't understand what purpose it has. And if we understood a little bit more of the purpose, perhaps then we could understand how we fit into it. The network that we're connected with that we, we gave money to church planting actually is called C2C. That comes from Psalm 72 uh, verse 8. And that verse basically says, and he shall have dominion. This is a, what they would call a messianic psalm or a messianic statement in the psalm that's talking to the ultimate king. Not just the present king at the time, but the ultimate king. King Jesus. 
who was at that time to come. And it says the vision that God has for this messianic king, this king who will come and make everything right and make sense of how the world works, we, we hope that he has dominion from sea to sea. Right? Clever, right? Sea to sea. That's why they call it sea to sea. You see the same phraseology found in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 10. Zechariah is a prophet who spoke a lot about the future king one day, and it uses the exact same phrase. May he have dominion from sea to sea. But at that time, they understood what was a king's job. Listen to this. A king's job was to govern God's precious people, was to protect the poor and needy, and was to bring blessing to all the nations and peoples of the earth. Doesn't that sound like a church? Doesn't that sound like the work that we have been called to do? It does, actually. If you look in the Scripture, you'll see that that the, the New Testament has a lot to say about governing God's precious people. So does the whole Scripture. This is our purpose, is to, is to, is to govern. It's going to take organization. And, and in fact, with how many billions of people are on the earth, it needs a lot of organization. It's to take care of the poor and the needy. What's that about? Helping humanity thrive, balancing out power and resources properly, not allowing one group, small group of people to dominate a large group of people. That was the king's job. It was about bringing blessing, not just to itself, but to anyone who would listen. It's it's really our call too. And it's our purpose. And so God has made us in his image so that we then can govern God's precious people. And I, I would argue that at this point, he says, you don't choose who's in and who's out. You just, you lead all people and tell them about me and I'll be the one who picks and chooses. But you protect all the poor and needy, not just the ones that you like. That you bring blessing to all the nations and peoples of the earth, not just your own. So this has this outward focus of bringing not just Canada to thrive, or Alberta, or even Calgary, but the whole world, all the nations together. I love how Tim Keller puts this. This is what he says. Human beings filling the earth means something more than plants and animals filling the earth. It means civilization, not just procreation. We get the sense that God does not want merely more individuals of the human species. He also wants the world to be filled with a human society. For us, as people who follow Jesus, we want everyone to know that the one who has the answers to all of society is Jesus. My hope is that this gives us some motivation. I know some of you are like, that was really boring, Trev. It's all philosophy. I know, I understand that. But I feel like what we're trying to do even with this series is not merely how do you organize your workday, but how do you philosophically change your worldview How does your worldview about work actually change? And I feel like so many of us, we have missing synapses. We're not connecting the fact that our work is God-ordained, that God designed us to do what we're supposed to do, that he designed all different kinds of people that are, are supposed to do different jobs, and not just within the church. I'm not speaking of the work that we just are doing on mission together. I'm allowing for 
a, a much broader understanding than that. But if that is true, if this gives us purpose, what is it? What should it do? Well, first thing I say, it should encourage us. It's intended, this is intended to encourage us and remind us that even when we feel fruitless, anyone ever felt fruitless and like I never accomplished anything today? Please, everyone's got to raise their hand for this one, right? You've all felt this. You've all felt like, you know, there's some days where it's just like, man, I just did not get very much done today. That, that, that's just kind of the constant feel, it seems, of our entire world is that we're just, but, but when we connect and we say, well, actually, but, you know, I did learn some things and I learned what not to do next time and I learned how not to do all this stuff. And when you find that out, it's like it brings some closure to what you're doing. And then there's those moments where you're just like, you find out this purpose. Some of you have discovered this for yourself. I'll tell you a personal story. Uh, for years, I felt really weird. I know that sounds like a total surprise to you, right? I, I considered myself really quirky. I told my mom I was quirky, and she, yeah, yeah, I did tell my mom that. She was like, quirky? You're not quirky. You're my son. You're, you know, that's what moms do, right? But I'm like, I'm quirky. I, I'm really weird. Thank the Lord I married up, and someone was willing to marry someone weird and quirky. And for the longest time, I couldn't figure out why I was wired the way I was wired. And I struggled with it. And I did enjoy my work. I was mostly a pastor. But I also enjoyed construction work. And I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to graphic design. And I, so I secretly, you know, subscribe to graphic design um, magazines because I have this weird infatuation with design, thinking that my dream job would be just I could tell people what they needed to design things. Anyways, you probably didn't need to know that. But I, it's, it's one of those weird, quirky things about me. And I'll tell you what. I was 39, maybe I was 40, I guess I was 40, and last year something clicked for me, and I started to figure out why God seemed to wire me the way he did, and it seems like, as a church plan, I know some of you are going to argue with this, but I fit here. I'm this farm kid who loves people and space, who kind of has this weird thing for design more comfortable in the blue-collar world, stuck in a white-collar city, and it, make, it works. I don't get it. It didn't make sense to me. But there was something that happened, and I felt it emotionally. I felt, this is why you made me. Do you ever have that moment? Okay, I'll ask this again. Do you ever long for that moment do you ever long to be like, I want to feel that? I want to just, I, like, you could just walk out of here with a big smile on your face, and you don't care what people think because you know exactly why you were made, what you were made for, and how that connects to the larger picture. I know we're all longing for this. I never thought it was possible. And I, you know, it was a miraculous moment in my life. It surprised, brought me to tears. Anyways. That's one of the quirky ways God made me. This is what this text is trying to say. You were made for this. And there are going to come times, there's going to become one day where you're going to figure out and you're going to see why you were made the way you were, why you were called to do the work you did. 
why you were called to actually leave that kind of work and move into this kind of work. And it's this lifelong journey, it seems, of connecting the dots for us. But I want to give you some examples. I want to give you some examples of how I see particular jobs. And I, 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 like, I could do this all Sunday long. I can't because there's a gray cup. But I could do this all Sunday long. But let's say you, you're a writer. That's what you do. You, you, maybe, it's, maybe it's novels. Maybe it's emails, right? Especially in emails, you're like, I don't know about this. Is this really what I was created to do? But what is writing? Writing is taking the raw materials, words, letters, grouping them in unique ways so as to communicate meaning. Without words, we can't communicate meaning. Have you ever been in a society where you can't physically communicate with someone? Do you know how difficult it is to live in that kind of society where you can't communicate through words? What's writing? It's taking the raw materials of letters and words and sentences and putting them in such a way as you can communicate meaning. It's doing exactly what God told Adam and Eve to do in the garden. Take raw materials. It's unfinished. It's not finished. Take the raw materials and bring order to them. Subdue them. Have dominion over them. That's what writing is. It's subduing words in a way that communicates meaning. Okay, so you're not a writer. You don't really like writing. I get that. Perhaps you're a construction worker and you make cement forms for things. And you're like, oh, Trev, like, this is not, it's not art. Okay, you haven't seen the job, so I thought about this. I said, we need places with whereby humanity needs to thrive. If we don't have a place for humanity to thrive, if we don't have buildings that are safe, humanity can't thrive. I know it sounds strange. You're like, really? I'm, I'm, I pour cement? And you're saying this is an important part? Yes. Have you ever built in a, been in a building that's falling apart? It's very important, that process of helping humanity thrive. What if you're in the oil industry? That's a lot of us. What do you do? Well, what, what is oil used for? Transportation and heat. You help people get together in community. Do you ever think that that's your part to play? That because you're connected, maybe you're, you're, you, you just do the legal side of it, maybe you just do the administration side of it, but you connect people together ultimately? See, perhaps, you know, some of you, I love to hear more of like, well, I'm starting to see how my work connects, or I don't see it at all. I would hope that you would come and talk to me, and, and I'm praying that this lands, but I want you to see that your part is actually just a smaller piece of the puzzle, and I think you're frustrated because you think you're a bigger piece of the puzzle than you really are. We need to see ourselves in this broad spectrum of connection. But I think it not only encourages us, it should challenge us. Some of you are like, the job I am in, I don't actually believe this is helping humanity thrive. So it will challenge you. Because the way you're doing your work the way you understand your work is actually quite selfish. It's just there to get a paycheck. You, don't even, you haven't even thought beyond that. And so it will challenge you to either rethink your worldview or perhaps it will challenge you to say, I need to get out of this. I knew that would be an outcome of 
of this ultimately, if this is applied, some of us, we need to change what we're doing because that's not really the worldview that we hold. Some of you say, well, I think there's a way I could do this better. I think there's a way I could connect this better. Or this is for a season. Ultimately, I want to get here. And so I would say it's challenging for us. But the last half, and, and, and I could talk all day about that and probably shouldn't, but that because that is true, then work becomes a form of worship. And I'll, I'll, I'll end like this. If God created work to be good and created work before everything went bad, then we need to understand that tr- the true view of work sees it as an act of worship. I'm guessing you don't walk into your job, whether it's Monday morning or Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening, and say, today is a day of worship. Today I'm going to worship through my work. In fact, you would say, that's the last thing I'm thinking about. Maybe you associate the word worship with music, which is why I'm so adamant of not confusing the two. Worship is a word that we use that basically means worth-ship. That's what it actually means. To worship something is to ascribe worth to something. And so our work can ascribe worth to God or it can ascribe worth to ourselves. And so I would say work gives this enormous, incredible opportunity as a context for worship. As a context for worship. Because work will either point to this grand scheme of God ultimately redeeming His world or it'll point to us. You see, we, I think we so often misuse our work to make us great, to ascribe worth to ourselves. Maybe this is some of our problem. Some of us, we work at what we work at because we're good at it and we value so much what other people think of us that that's all we really care about, the kind of work that we do. That it brings attention and glory to us. That it brings satisfaction to us. And I would say, and this, again, this is that we, we equate true joy with pleasure and those two aren't to be confused. That we're trying to go after pleasure. Have you ever just tried to go after pure pleasure You always need more. You always need more. Pleasure doesn't last very long. Our whole culture is pursuant of pleasure in some way, shape, or form, whether that's through our bodies, whether that's through our work, whether that's through our money, whether that's through our power, whether that's through our comfort. But we need more. We need more. We need more. But joy doesn't work like that. Joy grounds us. True joy, we don't need more stuff. We need less. When we're truly satisfied and we truly have joy in our work, it doesn't bother us that things are difficult because we know and understand our purpose. When we have true joy in something, we don't need a lot of other things. So I would say that this is, this is the way The New Testament described it. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. If you want to find out how to have true joy, bring your understanding of work underneath that whole umbrella.
This is about God. It's about God giving us an opportunity to help all of human life flourish. As I look around, I can name off the different jobs that I know that you're involved in. I would say, yes, it matters for your work. And it matters for your work. It matters for your work. Your work. So what, is it, what does this mean? If that's true, then what should that do? I would say it should encourage us. It should encourage us. It should encourage us that even this simple fact that, you know, there's something wrong with the system. Some of you are like, yeah, you talk about this like, it's, like my work is so awesome. I was like, I've never met anyone who 100% of their job is problem-free. Met a lot of people who love their jobs, and you say, "Well, what do you like? Every aspect of your job? Well, no, I don't like the hours, but I, I love the work. There's always something faulted. There's always something broken. There's always something fruitless that needs fixing, that needs tinkering with, that needs to be ultimately redeemed and fixed. It should encourage us that God says, "I have a plan to make this all right." I have the plan that wants to make sense of everything you do. I have a plan that one day you will see, but what's it going to require? It's going to require patience and trust to believe in that plan. It's going to require us believing that Jesus Christ is coming back, that he's going to do this one day. It's going to require faith that God knows what he's doing because it's going to feel like sometimes day after day, week after week, year after year, This is fruitless. In the book of Galatians, there's a great little verse. And this is what that verse says. Galatians chapter 6, verses 8 to 10. And here's what it says. It says, for the one who sows, or or I'll I'll go back to verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, and I would say making humanity thrive. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are the household of faith. See, with pay, when we have patience, one day we'll get to see that and we believe that. But it should also challenge us. It should also challenge us. It challenges us to believe day by day because that's fine to believe that over a long period of time. But what about this week? What about tomorrow? What about the job or the work I do right now that is terrible? I don't like yeah, it's going to challenge us. It's going to challenge our faith. It's going to test us tremendously. We finish off each week. And again, I, I, I feel like, you know, judging from the looks on some of your faces, this is not a done deal yet for you. You're still working through what this looks like, and I get that. This is going to take some time for us. But I believe we have a great opportunity to show our city the good news of Jesus Christ through our work. Not just while we work, but through our work. 
in the way that we work, not just the things we say when we're at our work, but the way in which we work and the way we think about our work, we have a tremendous opportunity to glorify God in our city. We also have a tremendous opportunity to glorify ourselves and make ourselves look good and to worship ourselves instead of ascribing worth to Jesus Christ. And so that's why each week we need reminding over and over again, there's one who is greater than you. There's someone who's more important than you. There's someone who, who his work actually accomplished everything that needed to be accomplished. And that name of that person is Jesus Christ. And each week we celebrate this. And for some of you, like, this, is this a habit you do every week? Yes. Why? Because we are so forgetful. And we need the constant reminder that there is one whose work was never fruitless. There was not a second of his day or his life that went to waste. Everything was effective so that every ineffective day of your life could be redeemed. His life made the difference. His life was perfect so that your life didn't have to be. And we celebrate that each week. We have the cup and the bread. I'll call the band up at this time as well. And this is what we get to do each and every week. We get to participate in the worship of Jesus Christ. And so that's what that is. As you come, see this as you being able to proclaim with an action, this is who is ultimate in my life. This is who has ultimate worth in my life. We have the, the symbols of the cup and the bread, and here's what they symbolize. The cup is the shed blood. That means the price was paid. It is finished. You don't need to work your fingers down to the bone to get God's attention. He's trying to get your attention by saying, simply believe in the trusted sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And he reminds you that he wasn't just an imaginary spirit, but he came in the flesh. That's symbolized by the bread. So this morning is a wonderful opportunity for us to ascribe worship to Jesus Christ. We actually strategically put the give boxes here because we think that everything we do Sunday should be a deliberate act of worship, showing, guess who owns my wallet? Jesus. Guess who owns my soul? Jesus. Guess who owns my life? Jesus. That's what we design all of Sunday to be about. And so come and celebrate his goodness.